today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for being with us. If you're a parent, especially if you're a parent of school-age kids, chances are this has been one of the most trying years of your life. With all of us doing just about everything else from home these days, in addition to raising our kids, the lines can get blurry and the days can be daunting. Whether you're barely hanging on as your kid is having a meltdown or having a great family afternoon at the park, if you're anything like us, social media has likely become a place to share even more of the highs and lows you're experiencing every day. And if you're someone who has kids, chances are, What you're sharing online likely involves your children from time to time. Our next guest says that while it may seem harmless, there are real consequences to this aspect of parenting in the digital age. Leah Plunkett is faculty associate at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. She's an Ann Arbor native, and she is the author of the book Sharenthood, Why We Should Think Before We Talk About Our Kids Online. Plunkett's book came out last year, but with all of us spending more time than ever in front of our screens, it feels especially timely to talk with her in this moment. Leah, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's great to be virtually back in Michigan. Wish I could be there in, in person, but yes. one of these days. In Someday the soon, right? Pandemic era, exactly. <laughs> so your background is in law. So tell us how you found your way into this realm of childhood privacy. My path to being a scholar of digital life and privacy, especially for kids and families, kind of like the eagle arms pose in yoga. I can't demonstrate because it's radio, (laughs) but if you wind your arms together and one kind of impacts the other. So I had a background as a lawyer in youth law. I spent a couple of years as a legal aid lawyer representing kids and teenagers who got into trouble at school. And then on the personal side, I became a parent almost 10 years ago. And as I moved from being a practicing legal aid lawyer to a law professor, I continued to be interested in children's law issues. And I became very interested in the experiences of children and families from the personal side because I was living them. And I found my way, Stephen, to focusing on digital privacy and related aspects of kids' experiences because as a legal matter, these are some of the most pressing hot-button issues that kids and families face. And as a personal matter, I was just trying to figure out what the heck to do in my own life. I was looking at a Facebook feed that was filled with adorable pictures of babies and stories about toilet training and temper tantrums. (laughs) And I was posting them as well. And I kept having this moment of like, huh, I'm doing a lot of research on the latest student privacy bill to be floated in Congress. Yet actually, I'm seeing a lot more just in my own personal news feed than most schools are sharing. So I'm, I'm having a little trouble figuring out how to reconcile this. So that's what got me interested in exploring sharenting. Hmm. So that term you just used, sharenting, the title of your book is Sharenthood. So in simple terms, what do you mean when you talk about sharenting or sharenthood? I mean all the ways that parents, grandparents, aunts, 
uncles, teachers, coaches, and all the trusted adults in kids' lives share private information about those kids digitally. So the most commonly cited example of sharing is what parents post on social media. And there are times when the term is used just to mean that specifically. For instance, about a year and change ago, the New York Times ran a great online series through their privacy project about sharing. And they refer to sharing just as what parents do on social media. And Stephen, while I think that's a big part of it, I don't think that's all of it. I also think that we as parents engage in sharing when we use a surveillance app on our child's phone to see where they are, when we put a smart device in our family's house and it transmits information about us and our kids. I think we sharent when we have our kids using educational technologies and countless other examples. So when does it become a problem. I mean, all of us share a lot of our lives online. Certainly, uh, anybody who is online on social media shares more about themselves now than they did before. And if you have children, that's part of your life. And there's not really a way, I would think, to stop uh, yourself from doing that at all. But when does it become sort of not okay? And what what are the lines, I guess, that, that you would draw about what's okay to share and what's a little more risky? There are a couple of very bright lines. First, I would say to parents, grandparents, teachers, all the adults out there, never ever share anything that could reveal a child's exact location, exact date of birth, full name, and anything else that could be used for somebody out there, perhaps even in your social circle, to identify with exact precision where your child is at a given moment, and even deeper, exactly what your child's identifying details are. Mm. And the first issue about not sharing exact location has to do with physical security. And the second about not sharing full identifying information has to do more with identity security to avoid potential cyber theft through creating credit cards or other credit products in a child's name. So those are some bright lines. Another bright line, never share a picture of a child in any stage of undress, even if it's very innocuous, even if it's a day at the beach. We don't want to have our kids out there exposed in terms of any part of their skin that would normally be covered up if you were to see them in a park, in a store, or in a school. Outside of those bright lines, it gets a little harder. Mm. And here, Stephen, is where I would say that all of us need to be having exactly this type of discussion within our homes, within our schools within our other community spaces, and try to come up with a values-based plan for the kinds of sharing we're comfortable with. So to be a little more specific about that, I would look to a family that might say, look, we really value connections. And now more than ever, when we are apart physically, we need to be together digitally. And we so value connection that we are going to post every day so that 
grandma, grandpa, friends, friends of friends can see what we're up to. But we also value our children's autonomy. So we're not going to post anything that goes beyond the level and tone at which we might share in one of those good old-fashioned holiday cards. Remember those Mm -hmm. type newsletters? Um, That kind of sharing is at a level that can kind of be newsy and keep people engaged without actually jeopardizing the child's ability to decide for themselves as they get older how they want to project themselves to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about sharing and sharing thing uh, in the pandemic, especially this idea of what information we make available to other people through social media about our kids. My guest is Leah Plunkett. She's a faculty associate at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University and an associate professor at the University of New Hampshire School of Law. She's also author of the book, Sharenthood, Why We Should Think Before We Talk About Our Kids Online. We would love for you to join the conversation and give us a call. Tell us, do you share information about or photos of your kids online? Do you let your kids have unlimited screen time of their own to be able to share information about themselves through social media? Or are you trying to strike a balance of screens and tech time with screen free time? In other words, saying, hey, we're going to put the phones down for a little bit. How are you doing with that? And how are your kids doing with that? And especially tell us how you're managing all of this during the pandemic when all of us are in the house together far more. You're doing your work. Your kids are doing schoolwork. But there is, I think, an inclination to say more about what goes on in our houses because our houses are now everything. There are homes, there are workplaces, there are schools. Uh, Are you sharing more about your family during the pandemic? Are you sharing more about your kids during the pandemic? And what do you think about the boundaries there or the dangers that lurk behind that sharing? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter Put comments there, and we'll try to get you into the conversation that way. Uh, Leah, before we go to listeners, uh, I want to talk about the pandemic and how it has changed the way we think about these things or maybe don't think about these things because all of a sudden every space that we used to inhabit physically is inside the home. Uh, And so sharing about our lives becomes a lot easier and sharing about work life can maybe inadvertently share something about uh, our families or our kids. Uh, How pervasive are the problems uh, because of the pandemic with children and privacy? We flipped a switch back in March. And those of us fortunate enough to be able to hunker down at home have been doing so. And so the stakes have become very existential. Whereas before technology was ubiquitous, now it really is so vital to being able to keep our kids in school and go to our jobs, go to telemedicine, and so on. So, Stephen, no question, the pandemic has made parenting a much, much more complicated, high-stakes situation. 
And there are many instances, and I will, I will disclose, this is not sharenting, this is sharing just about myself. It's a little embarrassing, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. So I'm a privacy nut. I'm going to confess now that I actually do have facial recognition enabled on my phone, even though it's a privacy no-no, because it's just so darn convenient. And that can often happen with privacy trade-offs. So one day, maybe a couple of months into the pandemic, I was standing in the little corner of our upstairs where I I work from, and my eyes were glued to my laptop screen. I was in a Zoom meeting with a number of colleagues, including my boss, and my nine-year-old had really been trying to get my attention. Mm -hmm. He wanted me to complete an Instacart order because it had bubble gum in it, and I was doing what I think has now become very familiar to parents everywhere, the kind of like side hand wave off camera of like, right? Stop, don't, stop. Don't right. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and I thought I, you know, I thought I was so tricky because I had my computer angled so that, it, you know, you couldn't see the door from it and I could see the kids first. So here I am doing the hand wave. My son walks in, picks up my phone, which was on the desk next to me, swipes it in front of my face. <laughs> my eyes don't leave the screen. <laughs> No joke. Unlocks the phone, completes the Instacart order, and walks out. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. I, I, I got a note uh, the following day from someone in IT who's a buddy of mine. And so it was mostly joking, but a little true. And, and he said, you know, remember the first rule of security is secure your devices. Like, <laughs> right. <"Ow."> right. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's a funny example, and I, I still get teased about it. Now I'm probably going to get teased more, but it's important to be honest about what we're all facing. But, but that example really does pick up a number of the central challenges. Mm-hmm. Many of us are together all the time, and we're the lucky ones, to be clear. Many of us are scrambling to use our personal devices in a whole variety of ways we weren't using them before. And being able to make sure that everyone's video is off anytime someone enters a room is really tricky, mm. making sure that you've muted when you think you've muted. And so there's so much more right now, and I can't pretend to quantify it, Stephen, but so much more inadvertent sharenting right now and also sharenting between the professional and personal realms. And sometimes it's really fun. I was in a meeting last week where we got to briefly share stuffed animals because we had a child coworker walk in. That was awesome. Mm. I have a rainbow unicorn that hangs out in my workspace. <laughs> I also have a five-year-old. Um, so some of it is, is really fun and lighthearted and I think makes us all happy. And then some of it can get really tricky really fast and can actually pose security challenges for employers that are far worse than in my case where it was just, you know, I lost a little money on Instacart because I hadn't secured my phone properly. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you said something that I want to go back to before we get to listeners. You said that facial recognition on the phone is a privacy no-no. And I, I've got to admit, th- this is one of my favorite new features of of cell phones. I mean, I just, I, I, I really could not imagine going back. I'm annoyed now, in fact, that when I have a mask on and look at the phone, of course, it doesn't recognize me and I've got to type in the, the, the old, the old code. And, and every time it happens, 
I'm I have this like uh, slight slight annoyance. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to have to type numbers into the phone to get it to to work. I'm used to just looking at it. Why do why do why do you say that uh, that facial recognition is a privacy concern? I guess I never thought of it that way. And I will confess that I'm with you. When I have to type in my code when I'm wearing a mask, I get grumpy too. So I assume some researchers out there are hopefully already trying to figure that out. I say it's a no-no because it's sharing biometric information and storing it in a way that is not completely crucial. Hmm. Yes, it's super convenient. And like many individual privacy decisions we make, we are often, and myself included, willing to pay a little bit extra by sharing private identifying information through a device. But if you are really thinking about how can I get the benefits of tech while disclosing the most minimal amount possible of identifying data about myself, including biometrics, then the passcode is actually a little bit more private than the face. Mm-hmm. Okay. Although uh... I, I I do strongly suspect that my nine-year-old, at least, has figured out. <laughs> I got you know. I hadn't thought of kids figuring out if I just put the phone in front of your face, I can yeah. get into it and do what I want. That is a that's a, that's the security risk right there. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what information you are comfortable sharing about your kids online. What photos are you comfortable sharing of your kids online? And has that changed during the pandemic? Because we are all in the house together way more than we were before. Are you having to redraw boundaries uh, that you had established before all of this happened? Uh, Let's start with Sean in Detroit. Sean, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Um, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. My question is not um, actually centered to, around the safetyness of what you share online, you know, pertaining to um, pictures and things of your kids. My question um, for Leah is based really on when she made the point of a value-based pledge. I want to ask Leah, what would you consider to be a good developed value-based pledge if you are teaching online learners? Huh. That's a great question, Sean. Uh, thank you very much for the call. Uh, what what would a value-based plan look like uh, when it comes to privacy and online learning? I do love that question. Thank you, Sean. So as somebody who's teaching online myself right now in, in higher ed, this is something I think about as an educator, too. And when I'm coming up with one, I think about the values of equity, So first, making sure that when I'm teaching online learners that everything in my power to do to make sure that they have access to solid Internet, they have access to devices, they have access to a safe and protected remote learning space. I think the value of equity is paramount when you're talking about teaching online learners. Mm -hmm. I also think that the value of digital citizenship is paramount. And what I mean by that is when we are teaching online, we are teaching on two levels, right? We are teaching the substance of whatever information we're trying to impart. In my case, recently, it's been consumer law 
and I'm actually also teaching a class right now on youth and privacy and digital life. But then you're also teaching your students both directly and subtly how to use digital technologies in a respectful, mindful way. And look, I don't think any of us, certainly not me, will come out and say that our eyes have never wandered from one tab to another when we've been ostensibly doing something online. But I think that a values-based approach is to try to help your students understand that if you are all together in a Zoom room or a Google Hangout or anywhere else, that what you're trying to do is recreate a classroom community space. And I do think that there's room for the value of privacy when you're teaching online learners. And ideally, those of us teaching on the front lines will have access to colleagues and supervisors who can help us think about what kinds of technologies to use. Ideally, there are processes at the school, school district or state level for vetting different tech choices so that teachers can focus on connecting with their students rather than having to run down this or that privacy policy or terms of service. But I do think that there is room to make technology choices, even in our all online or mostly online learning environments right now that are more privacy respecting, as well as digital teaching choices that respect and strive for the values of equity and strong digital Mm. citizenship. Mm. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep on talking about sharing and Sharon Hood with Leah Plunkett. And we'll get to more of your calls. If you want to talk about how you're navigating social media and privacy, especially during the pandemic, give us a call, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. My guest is Leah Plunkett, the author of the book, Share It Hood, Why We Should Think Before We Talk About Our Kids Online, we're talking about how we set up good boundaries for sharing information about our families and especially our children and how that may have changed during the pandemic because it's so much harder to shield our lives from everybody when uh, our workplace and our schools and everything else is in the middle of our homes. Uh, As always, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, We'd love to know how you're managing this, especially now during the pandemic. You can also go go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there. Let's go to Abby in Bloomfield Hills. Abby, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the pandemic started, I'm a psychotherapist, and I had been seeing patients in my office, and I had always kept my personal life very private. I had no pictures of my family in my office. 
people didn't really know anything about my family. If they did, if they asked questions, I would redirect them back to themselves. And when the pandemic started, I immediately started doing my appointments either on Zoom or FaceTime or Skype. So I would sit up at home on my computer and have my appointments here. Mm -hmm. But sometimes my four-year-old would run into the room and want to run onto the screen and have someone see her and see who I was talking to. And immediately, I would at first, I would be mortified mm. that they were seeing my daughter and my daughter was seeing my patient because one of the first things that I did was have people fill out a form about um, patient privacy. Sure. So here right away, their privacy was being invaded and compromised. But instead, they were so happy to see her because they were seeing me because they were anxious and depressed before the pandemic started. And then all of a sudden they were plunged into isolation. Wow. You know, especially the pe people who I was seeing were usually really stricken with anxiety when the pandemic started. And now all of a sudden they had to stay home. Most of them lived alone and they're completely isolated, didn't have children in their lives. And they were so thrilled to have this little four-year-old smiling and waving to them <laughs> and saying hi. And she would do that for a minute, and then she would run back to what she was doing, and then maybe she would come back again. And then as time went on, as the months went on, she got bored of it. And if the whole session would go on and my daughter didn't run into the screen, they would say, can I see your daughter? Can you, can you ask her to come and wave to me before the session would end? <laughs> wow, that's a, really, I, that's a really great story about how – Things have changed right now, and I guess how how these boundaries that we're trying to draw, I guess we got to be a little bit flexible about about how we enforce them and and how we interpret, I guess their value uh, right now. Leah Plunkett, uh, tell me what you think of of what Abby's talking about here. I think that's so powerful, and I will personally share again. I'm the child of two clinical psychologists. And I never got to see any of their patients. And I was always super curious. They would always go into town, right, to, to do their work. So, but all, uh, all personal sharing aside, I do think that's very powerful. And I do think that one of the core values that digital technologies have always been able to support is this value of connection and connection that would not be possible otherwise. And I love this sharing because it reflects how during pandemic life, digital technology does afford different types and a different depth and a different scope of connecting and sharing. And for a situation like this where everybody is comfortable and everybody is deriving this values-based benefit of connecting, I think that is a very powerful and very positive reminder of the ways in which all of us, especially during the pandemic, need to be thinking holistically and innovatively about how we balance the different values around which we anchor ourselves, mm. privacy, connection, equity, and so on. Mm. Uh, you know, and some of this, it does seem inevitable that the boundaries that we might have in our minds or the boundaries that might have existed before 
are going to have to be renegotiated or or refigured because of all of this change. And I think one of the things that stands out about Abby's story is, again, this is that's that's what's going on there, right? There there used to be this idea in her mind about what those boundaries were, and they are different, but they aren't necessarily worse or bad because they're different. That's right. And I do think that there are many ways, and Abby's story is one of them, where pandemic life is fostering and deepening empathy and creativity and recognition of the complex lives that everyone leads even in non-pandemic times, but especially during pandemic times. And Stephen, I'm an eternal optimist. And one of the things I hold out hope for is as we get through and rebuild from this pandemic, that when it comes to working families, particularly working moms, we will see employers and other stakeholders have a truly true appreciation, a truly informed sense of everything that all of us who work with young kids in our lives juggle, and that we can do better as a society to put structures in place to support the wonderful work that folks do, as well as the wonderful kids we're raising. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Leah Plunkett, author of the book Sharenthood, Why We Should Think Before We Talk About Our Kids Online. It was really great to have you here back home near Ann Arbor uh, for this conversation. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Go blue. Yes. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow when we are going to be joined by theologian, writer, and scholar Jim Wallace to talk about religious voters and why he's asking them to vote for Joe Biden for president. We'll talk about the role of religious faith in political decision-making. So that'll be a really great conversation, and you'll want to join us for that. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.